when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. This podcast contains explicit language. So that happened this week. House Speaker Paul Ryan finally released the Republican alternative to Obamacare plan from the sanctum sanctorum in which he'd been keeping it hidden. And as soon as it was seen by the light of day, it became something everybody from across the political spectrum instantly hated. Still, Ryan says this is the plan he's been dreaming about. So what does this plan do and how on earth will he get it passed? We will try to figure this out. Meanwhile, we are less than a week away from the implementation of the second version of President Donald Trump's executive order banning Muslim travel into the United States. This time out, the White House believes they've got something that will survive legal scrutiny. Whether the tweaks they've made will be sufficient is unknown. What may be more important is how these orders continue to reveal this White House's ideological beliefs where the Muslim world is concerned. Finally, we really can't let this week pass without mentioning some more of Donald Trump's lonely weekend tweets, which this week involved an extraordinary flight of fancy in which the Obama administration had wiretapped the phones in Trump Tower. Woe if true. It would be a truly cunning plot. Perhaps the most cunning part about it is that it makes no freaking sense at all. I'm Jason Lincolns with Huffington Post reporters Akbar Ahmed, Zach Carter, Arthur Delaney, and Jeff Young. And here's what happened first. Hey, everybody. Welcome once again. It's another week, which means it's another podcast called So That Happened from the Huffington Post. My name is Jason Lincolns. I'm the editor at Eat the Press at this here content farm and my fellow plowman sitting next to me is zach carter just wielding my sickle that's right thank you thank you for supporting the revolution um and uh, uh joining us from new york city uh the uh, is uh the the big apple i believe they call it is uh healthcare reporter jeff young uh, hey fellas jeff it's really great to, to have you on i know that it's it's sad because you're not in the studio with us, but uh, uh, it's great to have you back, especially because I think that um, I think that Obamacare is back in the news, if I'm not completely mistaken. Yeah, that's right. The uh, the House is working really hard right now to pass a huge tax cut bill financed through uh, Medicaid cuts. Um, we have okay. I have watched this thing unwind over the past week. If you remember last week, the Republican repeal and, and replace plan was being kept in a locked room, like a closet. It was guarded. No one could see it. Rand Paul ran through the building trying to get access to it. They wouldn't let anyone look at it. Now this week it's like sloughed into existence. And immediately at hitting the sunlight, every single human being in the conservative movement, it seems, hates it. Except for Paul Ryan. What, what is going on? Well, you have an ideological dispute. And this is going to sound glib, but it really is pretty close to just being 
purely factual. You have an ideological dispute between the two, kind of two camps uh, of, of Republicans, the like real conservative Tea Party types and then your sort of leadership folks like Paul Ryan. And it boils down to this. The Paul Ryan group wants to drastically slash the amount of money that poor people get to help them go to the doctor. And the Tea Party group wants those poor people to get nothing. So that's what they're fighting over. That sounds bad. Uh, well, I mean, it depends. Now, I, I the, mean, the, it, it, it's great for you if you make a substantial amount of your income through investments. Uh, you get a huge tax cut. It's good if you sell medical device medical devices because you get a tax cut and so on. Uh, yeah, but that seems like it's maybe not. I mean, all the rhetoric that you hear from the Republicans, whether they support or oppose the bill, seems to be saying they want to focus on patient-centered care that will result in market-driven outcomes that lower prices for everyone and result in more choice. Um, you know, Republicans love the language of the market. What's, what's wrong with that, with that reasoning and how does it disconnect with what's actually being put on the table here? Well, think about all the phrases that you just used. Do any of them actually mean anything? I would argue that no, they don't. No, it's all jargon. Right. They don't actually mean anything. Not to mention that there's nothing that I can see in the actual legislation that seeks to achieve those things, right? And you've got, you've got Trump at the White House the other day saying, oh, this plan's going to be great. You can pick whatever plan you want. You can pick whatever doctor you want. Like, that's literally impossible to accomplish unless you have like a single-payer program where all the doctors work for the government and you can go to any of them because they're all – you know, part of the same plan. <laughs> One of the things that's that's always kind of interesting me about this is the way Paul Ryan has approached it. We've talked about Obamacare a lot of times in the past, and we've all admitted it has some flaws that could stand to be fixed. The way I look at it is this: is is I if I buy a used car, I'll drive it for a while, and eventually, you know, a tail light will go. You know, have to the tires will start to wear down. I'll have to like make some tweaks to the car to keep it running. My position would be: let's spend the money, spend the time to keep the car running. Paul Ryan's position is is no fuck cars. Cars don't work. They've been a problem. They've been a burden on the economy and freedom. We will invent something that will replace the car. And I'm like, well, you know, cars are very popular. People use them. People see a car as a means to achieving certain ends and you've got to meet those. And Paul Ryan's like, no worry. When I reinvent the car, it'll be great and everyone will love it. This has always been an impossible plan and something that's worked when you're out of power. Is this what people – Is, is it, I, I just don't understand Jeff, where Paul Jeff, Ryan's even why, coming from. Why, why can't we just do Uber for health care? Yeah, why can't we do Uber <laughs> for health care or Lyft? I have, I have taken an Uber to the doctor's office if that counts. But I think, and, okay. and how, how did that work out? Did that work out OK? I mean I probably should have left earlier and saved money and taken the bus, but it, it got me there. Th th OK. Think about it this way. You mentioned like the problems that Obamacare has, right? And there, you know, there's a whole bunch of smaller things. But what it boils down to is that that law enabled something like 20 million people to get health insurance. You know, A lot of people, especially at the lower end of the income range, got very generous uh, financial assistance to let them buy private insurance. Insurance, or they signed up for Medicaid in large numbers because that program is expanded in most of the states also. One of the problems is that you've got a swath of the population that doesn't qualify for any financial assistance, but they're not rich, right? So the insurance right. – and because the insurance can't have giant holes in it like they could before where like it covers everything but the disease you have, uh, the prices are higher for those people. So – uh, and that I think that that's been more of an issue than they anticipated when they wrote it, right? So 
Mm-hmm. One option would be – oh, sorry. And the other problem is that because of those high prices, you've got people who are low users of medical services who just aren't buying the insurance at all because it's too expensive. They don't see a value in it, right? It's a sort of a rational choice a lot of people are making. So if you look at this, you could say, well, gee, uh, what can we do to help the people who aren't being helped or who have actually been harmed by the disruption that the Affordable Care Act caused in the insurance markets, right? What – Congress is doing instead, instead of trying to help the people who they talk about all the time, like, oh, I've got a constituent premiums are up 100 percent. They're not trying to help that person. They're trying to unhelp the people who got help. That's that's a, that's an interesting strategy. You know, look, I, I feel like the Democratic Party is sort of all in on this idea that the Affordable Care Act was a good idea. It needs to be tweaked and adjusted to be improved. It's not clear to me that the Democratic Party has figured out a political strategy for how to deal with Trump care, Ryan care, whatever it's going to be uh, labeled as in the most uh, derogatory way possible for Republicans um, since the bill's so unpopular. The, the, the DNC just tweeted out this morning uh, that the fact that hospitals are opposed to the bill shows that, that the, the, the Republican alternative desperately needs to be revised. Um, is, is this a package that can actually be revised in a way that actually expands – Healthcare access and lowers premiums. Well, no, I mean, look, it, it's part of this is not complicated. As complicated as Obamacare is, and as complicated as the American healthcare system is, it really boils down to something simple. It costs money to go to the doctor and the hospital. Some people don't have the money, so you could give them the money, or you could leave them on their own. And there's nothing. There's literally nothing in the Republican healthcare bill that attempts to do other things that the Affordable Care tried to do, which is put some pressure on the actual costs of medical services and products, right? So just as an example, the ACA told hospitals, if somebody comes in to get treated for X, Y, Z, disease, injury, whatever, and they have to come back within a month to get retreated for the exact same thing, if that person's on Medicare, we're not paying you twice anymore. We're just, you, were, you, just, you have to fix what you didn't fix the first time. You know, kind of like right. to go back to Jason's car thing. If you brought in to get your muffler replaced and you drove home and it still had the old muffler on it, you wouldn't pay twice. Uh, this has actually – this has worked, right? So it's forced hospitals to think more about like we've got to get this right the first time. What are we doing that's inefficient, et cetera, et cetera. There's, there's a whole bunch of other stuff in the ACA like, ACA like that. Some of it worked well. Some of it didn't work so well. But there's nothing at all like that in the Republican bill. And it seems like – their presumption – just during the course of my entire career, I've always observed that when Republican politicians and a lot of conservative kind of egghead types too, when they talk about the health care market, they seem to think that it works the same way as any other kind of market and it never has. Like, you know, partly because some of this stuff is not optional. You know, I mean, to, to, to take to pick up from what Jason Chaffetz said the other day about if you want health care, don't buy an iPhone. There are other kinds of phones you could buy, right? Or, or you could keep your old one or you could buy a flip phone or whatever. If you need, or you just not have a phone, you know, it's possible. It's a choice people can live with, you know. If you blow out your knee, you can't go, well, that hospital charges too much. I'm not going. So right. you know, the, the, we have to kind of confront that. And the fundamental yeah. uh, sort of structural and financing problem that the ACA was trying to address and only did so partially and that this GOP plan doesn't seem to address at all is that you're always going to have people who are sick. 
a lot of those people are going to be very expensive to treat. Either they're old or they've got three kinds of cancer or whatever. And those costs are going to be too high for that individual person to bear unless they're super, super rich. Right. So we have an insurance system where I buy insurance when I'm not sick so that I have it when I am. And the numbers all kind of work out because I'm paying into it before I use it while somebody else is very sick. The Affordable Care Act sort of tried to put some more money into there to make it work better. It has not worked out entirely because, as I said before, sometimes the prices are too high for people. But this Republican bill doesn't really attempt to do anything about that. And it kind of pretends that the issue is, oh, well, something, something, the government, not that treating sick people costs money and somebody has to pay for it. Now, one thing I find interesting about about the analysis you just threw out there, Jeff, is that you're, you're, you're making a great point about about how the healthcare market is different from other other types of markets. Um, but in a sense, you know, the Affordable Care Act is an attempt to create the sort of government conditions under which a market-based system could end up working, having certain you know, controls and, uh, and, and incentives in place to make something resembling a market system work. And this, I, there, there's something fundamentally conservative about that approach to healthcare compared to the way you know other you know advanced, developed, whatever you know, word you want to use for rich countries um, have, have approached the healthcare system. Is, is part of the Republican sort of incoherence ideologically on this a result of the fact that the Democrats just basically went so far to the right and essentially adopted a Republican plan? That Mitt Romney had, had implemented in Massachusetts, leaving them with nowhere else to go in 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 a sort of market oriented system. Uh, that that is a sort of compelling argument. If you think about okay, so Romney Care was like more than ten years ago now, right? Uh, it was uh, the mid two thousand, so we're going back a while. That was the sort of best, you know, quote unquote conservative idea for healthcare reform because it's public private. The government sets up some guardrails and some regulations and the insurance companies compete with each other for your business, right? Um, but once Obama and the Democrats in Congress adopted that approach, which incidentally wasn't just some kind of weird sop to try and get Republican votes, it worked in Massachusetts. It was a proven model, right? So, you know, it seemed reasonable to think you could extend that on a larger scale. Um, but yeah, you know, and, and, and also in the meantime, the Republican Party has changed and gotten much more sort of doctrinaire conservative and, you know, very much sort of anti-government period, you know, not, well, is there some way we can use the government to achieve conservative goals or turn things over to the private sector using government money? Like that's now crony capitalism, right? So like it's, it's very, it's very rigid and there's not a whole lot of room there. Um, you know, I, I have to say, too, though, it's important to remember when you look at what the Affordable Care Act did in the insurance market is Obama and the Democrats in Congress looked at the fact that 90, 80, 85 percent or whatever, 80, 85 percent of Americans already had health insurance, right? It was Medicare for older people or Medicaid for people with disabilities or seniors in nursing homes. And then the rest of us, almost like half the country gets insurance from their jobs and it's half decent insurance, Right. Uh, you know, every time they do a poll on this, you ask people who have insurance at work, do you like it? They go, yeah, sure. It's pretty good. Um, so they looked at that reality and thought we could make literally everybody in the in the country angry and scared that they're good, that whatever comes next is going to be worse. Or we can try and target our solutions to the segment of the population that doesn't get insurance at work and doesn't qualify for any of those government programs and try and get them something, too. 
Um, you know, and as if you remember a few years ago when, you know, some people, I don't know, ranges between half a million and a few million people were told by their insurance companies, we have to cancel your policy at the end of the year because it doesn't meet Obamacare. And everybody freaked out. Yeah. Well, yeah. imagine if that wasn't three million people, if it was 170 million people. Right. Because that's how many people have employer insurance. So, you know, right. that's why they did it that way. Let me ask you one last thing, Jeff. You've back when we were when uh, Congress was working on the Affordable Care Act. You're up on Capitol Hill a lot. You were listening, getting whip counts, getting through the the the, the give and take of the, the legislative action. Since this plan has come out, we've seen the Republican Study Group come against it. The the Freedom Caucus come against it. Club for Growth, Heritage, uh, Freedom Works are against it. Breitbart News, the Chowder Society for Lonely Nazi Virgins, had a complete <laughs> front page on uh, yesterday that was all, all completely agitating against Paul Ryan's health care plan. Who's going to vote for this? Th- how crazy is this? Is this whip count going to be uh, once once we far- finally start getting reporting on it? Yeah, man, it's t- it's tough to see right now. I mean, right now they, they clearly don't have the votes to pass it out of the House or the Senate for different reasons because the politics are different in those two chambers. But at the same time, I mean, now you've got the president has gone all in on this. You know, it's his it's his plan too. You know, that's why he had some of the the leaders of this effort in the House, the White House, the other day. Um, you know, between that and the speaker and the argument they're making to the rank and file is we've been telling everyone for all these years we're going to we're going to repeal this horrible Obamacare. This is the vehicle for that period. Full stop. Mm. So you vote for this or you have to answer to the people at home about why you voted against Obamacare repeal. But a problem with that argument to these guys is, as you pointed out, Club for Growth, uh, all these Tea Party groups are not only against this bill. They're already running ads. So it's hard to see how it gets there. One thing I want to point out here is as, as a point of contrast, right? Because you hear some people on the Republican side saying or, or even folks in the, in the press like, well, you know, Democrats had a lot of infighting back when they wrote this thing, too, and they eventually got it done. And that's true. One hugely important difference, though, is that all – the entire continuum of the American left, you know, policymakers, Congress people, interest groups, what have you, they all shared a common goal, which was let's get health insurance for more people. The means to get there might have been different. You know, your single payer folks to your people who thought that, you know, even the Affordable Care Act was too liberal, right? Um, and, you know, what kind of compromises are you willing to make? Who are you willing to leave behind? How much money you want to spend? Whatever, right? But at the end of the day, even like the anti-abortion Democrats in Congress who threatened to hold the whole thing up, they eventually gave in because they wanted to get people health insurance. You don't have the same kind of core guiding principle on the right right now. You know, universal coverage has never been a conservative goal. And, you know, in, in other periods when Republicans had total control of the federal government, such as during the Bush administration, they never even attempted to tackle the uninsured or any of these things because it's not a, it's not a been a priority for them. This is why I sort of half-jokingly referred at, at the beginning of this segment to this bill as a huge tax cut financed by Medicaid cuts because – Tax cuts are something that they are unified about. Right. Yeah. You know, but it's not a health policy vehicle. Yeah. Well, you know, the argument for just fixing and tweaking Obamacare and letting it stand as it is, is that you can say you've repealed it and replaced it with Trump care. 
leadership Republicans can content themselves that they've held off the hordes that want single payer, and Republicans who just get their jollies impoverishing people can stay content in the knowledge that someone out there is going to not get health care because of this deal. All right, Jeff, <laughs> thanks for joining us. We look Shrug forward to having emoticon. you back. Thanks, guys. Shrug emoticon. Yeah, exactly. Enjoy New York. Thank you. All right. Uh, we will We will be right back. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once, it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, we're back, and Zach Carter is still here. Hey, everybody. And uh, we are tapping in our friend Arthur Delaney. Hi. Hey, Arthur. Tap, tap. Tap, tap. Tapity, tap, tap, tap. That's what we're talking about. Wiretaps. Um, you know, it's funny. Not a kind of shoe. It's funny. I think last week we had uh, Donald Trump gave a speech uh, to Congress. Uh, he did not puke up blood or otherwise excrete anything gross from his pores. People called him presidential. And uh, then things went south almost immediately. He got really mad on Friday at his staff. Didn't feel like he was getting a lot of credit. Had a bit of a snit fit. Told Reince and Steve Bannon they couldn't come to Mar-a-Lago with him. And then he went to Mar-a-Lago and like late – Late Friday night, Saturday morning, he woke up, I guess, alone, unloved, from shaky dreams. And he took to his Twitter account, his only friend, his Twitter account, and he bashed out some tweets. One of them was about Arnold Schwarzenegger, but the other four was a wild-ass allegation that President Obama had tapped the phones at Trump Tower. And, like, we were off to the shit maze once again. You know what was amazing to me about this whole story? There was just one thing that was amazing about this whole story? Yeah, there was one thing Do that, tell. that really jumped out. We can end the segment real quick. Was that uh, reporters scrambled to, wow, this is a momentous, even for a, a Trump, even though it was a Trump tweet, big deal saying Obama like personally wiretapped you. So, so people are like, he cl- <laughs> writing, he claimed it without evidence and I was just surprised that there was uh, even that much benefit of the doubt given to the most notorious liar in politics. I mean, I don't really think that a lot of quarter was given to him. I think that the fact that there was no evidence backing up his claim was was like immediately reported. I also think that you know the reporters in the media get 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 yelled at a lot for you know you know suckling at the teat of Trump's Twitter account and following all his crazy ideas, but this was a 
monumentally weird thing to say. Well, there was a lot of effort to find out, well, what could he mean? Yes, of course. That's... In, in, in which reporters speculated that perhaps yes. there had been a FISA court warrant to we always get phone up... records from someone in the Trump campaign because of the Russia yes. thing. And I, that's what I was surprised by. This is a guy who says Obama was born in Kenya. Right. And vaccines cause autism. Yeah. Yeah. There's just like no limit to the crazy things that yes. he said that are untrue, that are lies, deliberate lies. And, now, and this was treated like, wow, he must really know something. This now, time. this is me doing the bringing up the speed in as few words as possible. Now, obviously you've been – if you've been out there paying attention to the news at all, you've noticed that there's been l- numerous members of the Trump campaign who have been implicated with uh, being in contact with various members of the Russian government. A lot of the evidence for this has come through the intelligence community. And over the summer, uh, the FBI, in conjunction with a multi-agency investigation in Russians meddling in the election, sought a warrant from the FISA court that would monitor transactions between two Russian banks and four members of the Trump campaign team. Now, surprisingly, FISA said, no, 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 you can't have that warrant, which is really, really crazy because normally if you're just like, hey, I have a ham sandwich and the remoulade looks a little sketchy, FISA's like, take a whole blank pad of warrants and do whatever you need to with that ham sandwich. But FISA in this case said, no, 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 you can't do that. They narrowed the warrant to just covering those banks, and that's how a lot of this stuff came out. Now, you can be a little bit aggrieved at the fact that the FBI and other intelligence agencies are able to use their FISA powers to do reverse targeting. That is to say, target foreign powers with the intention of going back and tracking back on domestic targets. That is the Patriot Act, and I'm sorry it exists. But at the same time, there's been no evidence throughout any of the reporting that President Obama had a hand in any of this investigation. There certainly has been no evidence that anyone ordered phone taps and or, or phone eavesdropping. And as far as we know, there's been no part of this intel, any of the SIG int, the signals intelligence that has come out of these investigations pertains to any kind of phone calls. It certainly has nothing to do with Trump Tower. So but, but back you, in. But, but what's interesting to me about about the sort of space that the Democratic Party is is placed in be, be, as a result of this insane thing that the president said um, is that the Democratic Party finds itself allied with um, members of the deep space, deep state with the intelligence community. Spies. Yeah. That it, that it used to hate, right? That it, that it used to have – at least the left part of the Democratic oh, Party yeah. used to have huge problems with. We've seen James Clapper trotted out on, on television as an authoritative source about how intelligence is gathered and whether or not President Obama personally ordered any wiretapping when James Clapper, as director of national intelligence, lied to Congress, straight up lied to Congress about mass surveillance mm-hmm. programs and then – Admitted that he lied to Congress. Yep. Well, actually, he, and said, kept his he, job. he said he was only saying the least untruthful thing he could. Right? That's <laughs> also known as admitting he lied. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you got that guy. You got Michael Hyden, who's in charge of the CIA under George it's W. Hated. Bush. He's I mean, not the composer. Right. This, this is not. These are not you know human rights heroes who, sure, are, who, sure, are, sure. who are shining beacons of light for democracy We've around the world. We've talked about this, uh, and and it's and it's astounding. Astounding that these. I, I, I'm, I'm wondering what what ends up happening to the Democratic Party as a res, as a result of this sort of sort of Trump scramble that's happening. Because clearly, what what Trump is doing is crazy and wrong, right? Yeah. But the Democratic Party doesn't seem to be relying on a set of in, of, of guiding principles or strategies to deal with Trump, other than to, to find as many people as it can to say that what Trump is doing is bad. Right, and the. You raise a good question. Where is the Russia story even going? Right, right. I mean, look, it could be going to a lot of places. And there's, you know, are, are they going to impeach the president if, if, 
if, you know, it turns out that he was coordinating with the Russians to hack Hillary Clinton, right? If that happens, right? If that's what is found and is revealed. Are they really going to impeach the president? What do they want to do? What is what is their goal for dealing with Trump other than holding him up as a person who is bad that good and decent people should should unite around against? And, I, and, and Russia so far is just like a shortcut for saying bad right yes. now. And look, I this is not I'm not defending Russia or hacking Hillary Clinton's emails or any of that. Yeah. I just think that it's interesting that the Democratic Party after – after several months, doesn't really have a strategy other I, than Trump I, is I bad. Feel, I feel like the Democratic Party would be best served to sort of divorce their political ambitions uh, from the track this investigation is on. I think that if, the, if they think the investigation is worthy, they should pursue the investigation and they should use their power in Congress to cajole uh, you know, special prosecutor to happen, some, some get to the bottom, whatever happened. But whatever's going on there, it shouldn't be part of their political plan. That is to say, their their approach to winning elections shouldn't be the Russia story. It should be economics. Yeah, it should be economics. And let the Russia story fall where it may. Get the who's, what's, when's, where's, and why's, and be content that you can do just that. But to get back to Trump's crazy allegations. That Obama personally wiretapped him. I try to walk through – OK. Which and, is bonkers. And can, I, can I say that that adding to this is Peter King or Steve King. I, I can't remember. would have been Peter King. Was, who, who suggested that maybe it was a rogue intel operation that did this. You know, maybe it's out. Maybe it's outside the existing reporting because it was a a rogue intelligence operation. And I'm just like I'm confused. I'm confused by what this rogue intelligence operation, if it exists, is trying to accomplish. Over the summer, they're going to tap Trump's phones. Okay, you know, Obama's like, let's have a rogue intel operation. Okay, cool. Well, we'll just leak his tax returns. No, man, that's not nearly no, they're gonna rogue enough. Tap the phone. We need to tap and, phones and play the audio inside Comet Ping Pong. Right, exactly. While children are being tied and up. So, and so, presumably, they get all this intel, and then Obama's like, you know what, guys? Let's sit on this shit. Let's just sit on it. Well, Hillary could lose the election. Eh, you know, maybe she will. But you know, what we'll do is we'll wait till after the election, then we'll drop this bomb. And it's just like, cool, cool, cool. You've achieved nothing having done this. And you know – look, you know what Trump tweets, right? Like Trump is blowing up his own administration on a like biweekly basis, right, or semiweekly, whatever it is that's twice a week just with Twitter. So you know if they if they tapped his phones, he would have said some crazy shit on the phone that they could have run ads around, right? Yeah. You know he could have done that, but they didn't do it. So members of his administration haven't really been helping him at all with this story because it's too weird to defend. And there have been reports that he's like lonely at Mar-a-Lago asking that's, that's, asking people to back him up. Like, that's I think not I'm entirely right. true though. That's not entirely true though. So in a in this I think his first press briefing back from his long away period in the in the sad zones, Sean Spicer got into a, a conversation with Hallie Jackson at NBC News. And remi- re- remember that one of the assertions the White House has made uh, by Kelly Kill- Conway specifically made this is that the reason no one else has this evidence is because Donald Trump just knows things that other people don't. He has intel. And then in his next breath, he was like, I want Congress to investigate this. And it's just like, don't you just have the evidence? Just why don't you just like hand over the evidence? And ha- Hallie Jackson got into it with Sean Spicer. He was like, why don't why are you making Congress go through all this Michigas if you guys know what happened? Just tell us what happened. And and Sean Spicer like had this insane conversation dancing around saying, oh, well, you know, we have to respect the separation of powers. And I was like, now you're now you're going to respect the separation of powers? No, but the, the, the obvious answer for pretty much all of these like half stories that get generated by Trump doing something insane is what Arthur said earlier. It's that Trump did something insane and stupid and then people have to pretend like it's a real thing both in the administration yeah. and in the media 
to to dance around and create this this sort of facade that we are living through a normal presidency in which ordinary norms of political discourse are respected. Right. Just remember that this is a birther who says vaccines cause autism. I think that should be people's Trump uh, guiding who star. Says, who says that uh, Ted Cruz's dad was a part of the Kennedy assassination? Right, who had Ted Cruz over for dinner? Yeah, this because week. Ted Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz is a fucking pawns. Anyway, wow, that was uh, let's before we go. That was and Heidi absolutely humiliating. I know for Ted Cruz absolutely humiliating. Can, can More just, so than the Romney dinner. Yes, I, it was. I mean, t- Donald Trump just repeatedly insulted Heidi Cruz gratuitously for no reason. Yeah. during the campaign, and and then said that Ted Cruz's dad killed JFK, and there is Ted Cruz and his children having dinner with him. This, you know, wow. I've, I've always said, I've always, I always tell people, it's like, how should I approach politics? I was like, don't treat politicians as human beings. And when they're your public servant, you have to treat them as if they're a dog you need to train. You know, they either do what you want or you brook them over the face with a newspaper, which is something you shouldn't do to dogs, but you should do it to politicians. It's binary, one or zero. And uh, when when Ted Cruz, a, a man who was put through the ritual humiliations, he was put through the specific ones, uh, then goes and has dinner with Trump, it just it just reemphasizes my my stand that like politicians aren't really ordinary human people and you shouldn't treat them as ordinary human people. When they're out of office, give them their proper respect, but Ted Cruz, what a fucking ponce. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we will be right back. Man, what's a ponce? Hey, welcome back. So uh, Donald Trump, having basked in the brief period of good publicity after his joint speech to Congress, uh, briefly held off uh, issuing a new executive order that would uh, ban the travel of Muslims into the country. But when everything, you know, once again hit the shit, the executive order was back. And now we're going to find out whether this is going to be the same kind of shit show as the last one. Joining us to talk about this, we got Arthur Delaney. Hi. And uh, who's looking at me skeptically for some reason. I just keep it clean, man. I'm keeping <laughs> it Family <laughs> podcast. It's America 2017. Can't keep it clean. Uh, and uh, we also have Akbar Ahmed, who is really Assalamu alaikum. It yes. is America 2017. I just don't care anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, – there's been, I guess, some differences, noteworthy differences between uh, what the Trump administration now wants to do uh, versus what they uh, attempted to do in the first place. Can you walk us through where uh, where those differences lie? Yes. Or lay? Uh, two big concessions right off the bat. Uh, the list has gone from seven Muslim-majority countries to six Muslim-majority countries. They took Iraq off the list. Iraq is a U.S. ally in the fight against ISIS. The U.S. was widely criticized. Um, that, of course, doesn't make very much sense because Iraq has not gotten significantly more stable between January and now. So it doesn't really help that case that, you know, this is a national security imperative. However, they took it off for politically expedient reasons. So it's now six countries, Yemen, Somalia, Sudan, uh, Iran, Syria, and Libya. And he also removed the element of the original Muslim ban that would prioritize Christian refugees' entry. Um, they, they took that out after people said that was discriminatory, showed the intent being anti-Muslim. Right. Yeah, that helped make it look like a Muslim ban, which he had repeatedly said he would go 
implement. Also yes. helping it make like a Muslim, make it look like a Muslim ban. Many Trump aides who called it that, but yes, yes. Um, and then and then they did a couple of other tweaks. I mean, they made clear that green card holders are not affected, dual nationals are not affected. No, people who had previously received U.S. visas uh, are not affected. Which again raises the question of why do you need this radical change if the U.S. visa system was dramatically broken and all these terrorists were coming in previously? Why should that visa still be valid? Yeah, that's been an interesting del- question that I've I've been wondering, and I, I've actually been wondering why no one asks this. When we talk about entry into and out of the country, uh, and, and especially when it applies to refugees, uh, there's always been a very, very stringent vetting process. And one thing I've always wanted someone to ask the Trump administration is, what do you think in that process is broken or bad? Because then we can actually talk about fixing the process. Right. It's almost as if they're very disingenuous about <laughs> wanting to have a process at all. One would think that if you like the process, you would want the State Department, which actually runs the process, to have money instead of trying to cut a third of it, which is what the Trump administration is trying to do. But we digress. I mean, these are all you know data points that are going to come up in the legal battles over this. Hawaii has already filed suit. Um, so it, I, I think, as you were saying, it is going to be a similar kind of legal nightmare. Well, this, well, to take a step back, they were. This is the issue that had Trump going after courts with yes. his statements yes. and right. saying, you know, right. the judicial system is terrorists, basically. Mm-hmm. Now, instead of going to the Supreme Court, like which he said he would do, see you in court. Maybe. They, they're not doing it. He's not seeing you in court. Yeah, because they did a new order instead. Of fighting in court over the old order, so that that itself is a notable thing that happened that was uh, you know maybe overlooked because there's so much other craziness embedded in the whole thing. So the case against this the first ban was, of course, it was very naked, nakedly uh, discriminatory against people practice certain religion. Uh, what what prevents the ACLU and other organizations from making the same case now? Is it have they um, have they have they have they made this bulletproof legally speaking? They say they have. Um, my analysis, I'm not a legal expert. My analysis is that it's it's not. I mean, because the court rulings on the first one said intent matters a great deal. Intent has been very clear from 2015 when Trump first suggested the Muslim ban through to. Uh, last month, when Stephen Miller was still saying on television that this was effectively the same thing as the original Muslim ban, uh, I don't think that helps their legal case. They spent a lot of the document of the new order talking about how good the old order was, which also doesn't help. Which their is case. kind of weird. Um, yeah. So, so that they actually threw in a line. It was like, "We didn't intend this to be thought of as a religious discrimination. Just want you guys to know yeah. that." Yeah, but to be clear, uh, like you can't just say it now. What legal experts say is that all the stuff Trump has said about banning Muslims outside of court and the government and the order itself, that's all part of the story and things that judges will consider. Right. Including, so that, you can't make that go away. You're trying to ban Muslims like you said. You and that includes one thing that you picked up on, I believe you wrote about, that was that that was another uh, policy decision that the Trump administration has made, and that is to focus some kind of effort on uh, so-called honor killings in the United States. Which again, sort of like belies their the intent of their entire sort of philosophy toward uh, Islam. Yes. Um, so, a Section Eleven, Part B of the Executive Order says that the Department of Homeland Security should collect statistics on how many foreign nationals are involved in honor killings in the United States. In the United States. Right. Uh, now, this is in addition to and separate from the list of crimes by immigrants. Trump 
said he would have the government create right. and I, right. I guess that would be an overlap, kind of. Yeah, right, okay, so, just to be clear. So anyway. <laughs> so what is what is an honor killing? Um, so it's a murder, which is a crime already, has been a crime for quite a while. Um, right. So there are already statistics on how many cases of domestic violence, how many cases of gender-based violence, more specifically there are. Honor killings are a term that Islamophobes have often used to describe any time a Muslim person commits gender-based violence. Certainly, there is entrenched sexism within Islam. There are kind of misogynistic attitudes. There have been cases of Muslim fathers, brothers, husbands, you know, hurting the women around them because they don't like their choices. And basing it in their religious practice. And, and, and saying that it's because of their religion. Right. We shouldn't say basing it, but using uh, religious alleging, justification right. for the violence they held in their heart anyway. Correct. Um, and that's been used as a cover, right? So what's interesting is that it's not like there is some broader administration-wide, you know, targeted gender-based violence policy. They're not saying we want to prevent violence against women in general. They're like, well, loosening gun restrictions, but also scary foreigners are maybe attacking women. Um, and a lot of analysts have noted this in a kind of history of U.S. racial discrimination that's fought on the bodies of women. This idea that brown people or black people, men in particular, will target white women has been used to justify anti-black violence for centuries in the U.S. And now the Trump administration is making it official U.S. government policy for targeting foreigners, specifically foreigners from Muslim-majority countries. Because again, this is not a ban on anyone from a non-Muslim-majority country. Right. So just to be clear... Men kill women a lot. And Husbands kill wives a lot. Yes. yes. It, it, it's a thing that happens. But this is targeting a, a, a uh, supposed subset of crimes in which a, a Muslim husband kills his wife. And it's got like some sort of ritualized faith-based aspect to it. And this is not a thing that I believe actually oh. is a phenomenon in the United States. Also even worth if it is happening. pointing I, I believe it's happened a handful of times. People have said, oh, this was an honor killing. But I, dude, point it, I, I, I point looked out. on Wikipedia, yeah, and did. there's a Wikipedia page for honor killings in the United States. It's like a half dozen. It's like five cases right. where it allegedly happened going all the way back to 1989. So, no, <laughs> dude, <laughs> and, it's not a thing. And, and quite notably, no one has actually walked into a court and said, well, it was an honor killing, Your Honor, and the court's have it subsequently thrown out their hands and be like, well, we can't do anything with that. Oh, this has to be so, tried in a court yeah, of Sharia guess, law. Guess the statues we have. But that's kind of what you have to do. You have to place it in this total narrative of this alternative universe that Islamophobes live in, where Sharia law is prevalent in the U.S., the Muslim Brotherhood controls the government, and if you call something an honor killing, you actually walk away not being punished for murder. This is not reality. This is an invented reality. It's comet ping pong. Policy. It's comet ping <laughs> pong which, as governance. Which, which Michael Flynn's son continues to defend, notably this week, and says is still happening. So, One more thing I want to talk to, this, to you about, because you, you, one of the things that, that the Trump administration has said in justification to pretend this isn't a ban on Muslims is they've said, well, there are all kinds of nations in the world with Muslim-majority population. We haven't banned them all. Uh, and, and, and you've noted that he does seem to have some favorite. Muslim yes. countries, most notably, uh, if I have this, if I remember correctly, it's Jordan, uh, the United Arab Emirates, and Egypt. So, what um, is it about those countries that make them uh, more amenable to Donald Trump? So, what what he likes about those countries, and what's become clear in his policies, you know, towards the Muslim majority world in general, is 
he believes Muslims are essentially savage, right? This is the clear narrative coming from him, from Steve Bannon, from Stephen Miller. Muslims are barbarians, and they can only be controlled by harsh U.S. immigration policies, the things we're seeing from the White House, and regimes like Egypt, the United Arab Emirates, and Jordan that essentially spy on their populations, repress any dissent, torture people, strip them of citizenship, and essentially agree with Trump. They're saying you cannot have democracy, you cannot even have human rights for our populations because they're not really human. Uh, and that's where we're seeing an ideological alignment with these really repressive regimes. So it's authoritarianism. Correct. These are, these, uh, it's, it sounds similar to his affection for Vladimir Putin. Correct. But then I, Duterte I, which, you know, maybe, maybe there's like a blackmail reason or maybe it's just because he's a white guy. Right. mean – um, but it's a very racist authoritarianism, which yeah. is important to remember. And and it's why he's not, for instance, so chummy with Saudi Arabia, which is a traditional, of course, U.S. mainstay. Uh, I would argue Trump is really skeptical of Saudi. Saudi is, is the perfect foil for Islamophobes. It's what people who say honor killings are happening in the U.S. point to all the time because they say this is what Islam is. Look at Saudi Arabia. So Breitbart is filled with anti-Saudi stuff. Steve Bannon doesn't like Saudi. The ideological underpinnings of this, I think, are really important and will continue to define the Islamophobes movement. So what do you think happens with this executive order? you think we're going to see the same kind of chaos? Well, there, there already has not been. or, or It doesn't not... go into effect okay. until March 16th. Oh, wow. So it's, yeah. uh, it's really been telegraphed in advance. What's so special about March 16th? Uh, he wanted to give the State Department and everyone time to deal with it. Of course, that undercuts his other national security argument, which is that you cannot tell anyone anything that will happen or the bad guys will come. Right? So, so none <laughs> of this is logically coherent. Yeah, okay. Um, well, same shit, different day, I guess. So, so we'll see the effect come March 16th, uh, 12.01 a.m. Goes into effect, and I think we'll see... It's very cleverly devised to not have the kind of trauma that we saw last time. So, for instance, we saw scenes of people being turned away and detained at Dallas, you know, JFK, whatever. Right now, if, you know, in, in the current executive order, you won't even be allowed to board a flight. You wouldn't even get a visa if you're from those countries. So it's not like you'll be arriving at, on U.S. soil and claim due process. So it, that's a sort of different case. The argument now is going to have to be these are people who could come to the U.S., have a legitimate right to come to the U.S., and cannot be issued a visa or allowed to travel because of Trump. Interesting. All right. Well, we'll wait to see how that all plays out. Akbar, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. And Arthur, you know, we're, we're kind of you're, – you're always here. So yeah. It's not special. You, you, I should thank you every once in a while. It's good of you to be here. Thanks. Okay. Uh, I thank myself for being here. I thank you for listening, and we will be right back. So that's what happened this week. This podcast was produced, edited, and engineered by Zach Young. Our executive producer is Nick Offenberg. Special thanks to Nick for helping us out in New York City this week. I'm Jason Lincolns. This week we were joined by Akbar Ahmed, Zach Carter, Arthur Delaney, and Jeff Young. So That Happened is available on iTunes at iTunes.com slash So That Happened. So check out the whole family of Huffington Post podcasts in the iTunes store. And while you're there, subscribe and tell your friends. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, you can always send us an email to so that happened at HuffingtonPost.com. Thanks to all of you for listening. We miss you already.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.